Good afternoon, everyone. Section of John's Gospel. So last week we heard in chapter 10 the interaction between Jesus and the gathered Jews in the temple in Jerusalem. How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus' response was, I did tell you, but you did not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me. The Gospel of John locates itself at the center of time. It begins with a reference to creation in the beginning. The Word became flesh and Jesus enters the world. John's Gospel ends with Jesus' resurrection and in his 21 chapters, John gives us bite-sized accounts of everything in between. So might we consider that as chapter 11, which we're about to read together, sits almost in the middle, in between 1 and 21, that the story of Lazarus is in fact in the middle of time, from the beginning to the end, as it were. But where is Jesus? He can physically only be in one place at a time. We read together now the Bible's here at the side, or the words will appear on the screen. We read together now John chapter 11, verses 1 to 16. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped, her feet with, wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, the sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days, and then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews, they are tried to stone you, and yet you are going back. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So when he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. 
Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Amen, and may God bless the reading of this, his most holy word. Throughout his gospel, John has shown us Jesus doing unexpected things. Usually those unexpected actions, like turning water into wine or speaking to a woman at the well, were so that he could get past people's defenses, their preconceptions, to reveal to them his true identity. In today's passage, we once again hear of Jesus' behavior, surprising those around him, his unexpected decisions put those who love him in a very uncomfortable position. Jesus acts in a way that confuses and perplexes his followers and friends. They don't get the immediate resolution that they hope and pray for. Does this sound familiar to you? Can we relate to and recognize when we get stuck between the fantastic promise of life in Jesus and often our painful reality. When God doesn't respond, doesn't show up and is, in our opinion, not making things happen at all or quickly enough, we might wonder, why? Why is he waiting Firstly, back to the text. John introduces us to the family, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. John tells us that Jesus loved these individuals. In today's scene, Jesus and his disciples are close to Jerusalem, and word is received that his good friend was sick. Imagine for a moment Mary and Martha at their home in Bethany watching their dear brother decline in health, gradually his body growing weaker and less responsive. They've tried to cope with the situation on their own, nurse and tend to their brother, but now realize that he is within the last days or hours of his life and that Jesus is the one who holds the incredible power to heal. And in their desperation, at this 11th hour, They call on Jesus to assist. They send word to Jerusalem, which, let's face it, takes time. In these days, most probably someone dispatched on foot. But then the message has to be received. Imagine during all this time the sisters' prayers. They're hoping and praying that their brother would be able to hang on to that last delicate thread of his life, just long enough until Jesus came to the rescue. No doubt Martha and Mary had calculated precisely two days for the messenger to reach Jesus. Jesus will immediately set off on his journey back to Bethany. So in four days' time, their brother would be healed, saved, and perhaps 
just in his last breath, be clutched from death. But no, that's now how the story goes. The sisters were making a huge assumption that when they called, Jesus would immediately respond and respond by physically coming to their brother's aid. During the coming days and hours, I can picture the the sisters bouncing between their brother's sickbed to the front door of the house, back and forward, anxious and expectant, glancing at the front door, pacing up and down in the doorway, desperate to catch Jesus in the distance. And if we fast forward the story, in fact, we experience the sisters' emotional distress and anger later in chapter 11 when Martha confronted Jesus with, if you had been here, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Not only are they distraught at the circumstances, but there's more than a hint of, you caused this, Jesus. You are to blame. Where were you? We called you. Going back to when Jesus had received the news, he would have understood, well understood his friend's distress. He would have immediately felt such compassion and empathy. But initially, he waited. And he waited. He didn't rush on the journey. In fact, he waited for two days, we're told. And during that time, Lazarus died. Jesus waited. And it's it's his inactions that confuse and perplex those around him and his friends. To us here, does Jesus waiting demonstrate the behavior that you would expect of a good friend caring and compassionate behavior. I mean, Jesus knows that he can help here, right? In their time of distress, Jesus waits. I think that it's difficult for us to get our head around it. Jesus is our teacher. We speak of being called to Christ, to be Christ in our world, in our community. He is our role model, and yet Jesus does nothing immediately. I have a close colleague who, when faced with either a personal or a professional dilemma or crisis, always asks herself the question, what would Jesus do? Well, in theory, I'm fine with it. It's sound until it comes to this passage. Because in practice, personally, I'm a panicker. In all situations of crisis, I'm off the starting blocks at 100 miles an hour. I'm wading into trying to sort every situation out under the sun for you, for everyone, for myself. And it's exhausting. And it very rarely helps. It just gets everyone around me more and more anxious. 
the minute there's an emergency, my Christian response says a knee-jerk reaction to the situation. What does Jesus do? Here. He has a calm assurance. Here. He expects us to trust. I feel a Proverbs quote is appropriate here. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. It's always an option to do nothing. Turn your situation over to God and wait. It's a standing joke in my family that I'm only ever two minutes away from anywhere. I get a call. Hello? Right, I'm on my way. How long will you be? Two minutes. Two minutes? Yeah, I'm two minutes away. Of course, I won't be two minutes. Because, but it's a phrase I use not to demonstrate real time, but to convey that I'm responding now. I'm dropping everything. I'm on my way. When the American singer, Charlie Puth, released his single, I'm only one call away, in 2015, I think it was, my family had found the perfect jingle to their many conversations with me. The number of birthday cards I have with quotes from that song, quite frankly, it's just not funny anymore. <laughs> I'm only one call away. I'll be there to save the day. Superman woman got nothing on me. I'm only one call away. I'm actually now regretting mentioning this because I think I've, I fear I've lost you to the song that's probably playing in your head right now if you know it. If you don't know it, you're in a better place, believe me. In actual fact, that song was and still is promoted in America as having a gospel message. Here it is. No matter where you are, no matter what is going on, no matter what we've done, Jesus is just one call away. But don't expect him to show up. Respond or be here in two minutes. Turn your situation over to God and wait. But let's face it, the majority of us are just not good at waiting. Because why would we? The world in which we live now can produce instant responses. We are immediate people. Everything is so readily available to us and waiting. Well, we don't have the patience for it, as clearly some of you have told us about today. Our expectations are high, and as consumers, we can now demand an instant response. But John reminds us here that waiting is central, central to the development of our faith. God is not accessed through the World Wide Web, where we can Google for an answer. We don't place an order or download a miracle or two. We can't log on to our God app to top up when we're emotionally bankrupt, in need of forgiveness, courage or strength 
No, waiting on God is so worth it, for that time brings us into a full and rich relationship with him, beyond any, all transactional exchanges. We must be patient. We must trust and believe. We may not understand God's timing, and we might have to wait for what seems like forever. But our God is mysterious. He can't be controlled or manipulated so that we, got, we get our own way. Instead, he expects us to be in it for the long haul. There are no limits to the time when God will respond when we call on him. God hasn't forgotten us. He is continually working ahead of us. We just need to wait. And we should take our example from Jesus and wait, even if that means us doing absolutely nothing, even if it results in a prolonged period of difficulty and pain, even if we want to blame God for the tragedies we see around us or we experience ourselves. We need to wait for God's hand in what comes next. So what can this time of patiently waiting bring? Is there a benefit? Isaiah tells us there is. Isaiah says that those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. So if we go back to the scene in John's gospel, Jesus ultimately announces to his disciples his, his intention to go back to Judea. But they protest. If we go back, we might very well die. Jesus having to think his actions through. He didn't just receive the report of Lazarus and discard it as a piece of upsetting news. He would have prayed for his friend, sought God, and after several lines of dialogue with his confused disciples, he announced that Lazarus is dead, but we're going to wake him up. I can really empathize with the disciples here because I'm sure that they were, they thought that they were, there was very little that could be done for Lazarus at that point. After all, they didn't watch Jesus. They did watch Jesus wait when he received the news from Bethany. And yet now, contrary to the sort of, any sort of common sense, Jesus wants to go back there where people wanted him to die. Also, I think it's worth just pausing for a second to notice the comparison. When Mary and Martha, with Mary and Martha, Jesus waits when they wanted him to go. With the disciples, he wants to go when they ask him to wait and stay. In this story, Jesus' delay, his waiting, only lasts for a few days before he shows up and comes through in, quite frankly, a miraculous way. So do we have any comparisons to draw on here? I wonder if you have examples of where God has waited in response to your call. So much so is your faith 
faltering or perhaps you're blinded to the signs of God's working because it's not how you expected the situation to play out in time or in nature. In the Bible, we read of many accounts of God's waiting. In Genesis, God comes to Abraham and makes a promise to him, leave your country, your people and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. Abraham has to wait 24 years for God to make good this promise. And even the nation of Israel is a testament to the truth that God waits to show up. They spent 400 years under the authority of one empire or another waiting for the Messiah to come. When God waits to show up, he is preparing to show himself in such a way that he will receive maximum glory. He will reveal himself. These are the signs that John talks about throughout his gospel. We should open our eyes to them. God waits so that he might be glorified. And as Isaiah says, so that our faith is made stronger. Can we agree then that that that, that, that waiting, that benefit is so worthwhile? And remember Hebrews, in Hebrews 11, it states these words, faith is being sure of what we hope, hope for and certain of what we do not see. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And then it lists the key characters in the Old Testament. These characters were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised to them by God. They only saw small, small glimpses of what was to come. But through faith, they carried on. Can we be like that? How much more then can we trust and believe through Jesus Christ who came into the world through his teaching and his sacrifice? The theology of the cross is for us a significant sign of God's being and doing. And yet, we still argue that God waits and does nothing. So I would ask, does this passage, this story, challenge you to respond in unwavering discipleship with Christ? Does this story challenge you to adopt the assurance of God through Jesus? And of course, just a brief mention of Thomas, who we hear from right at the end of John's account. As we know, Thomas, Thomas has always been the victim of bad publicity, known as Doubting Thomas, for his scepticism. But here we see him as persevering Thomas, not fully understanding what's at play, not fully understanding what God is doing or what Jesus wants him to do. Nonetheless, Thomas sets his determination upon following. He sets his eyes upon Christ and says, I don't know what will happen to me. In fact, it may be very bad. But come what may, I 
will follow. In the face of confusion and perplexity, does Thomas's example inspire us to persevere in faith and discipleship? I hope so. One thing that I've learned over the last few years, God only gives enough vision to me to carry me to the next step. And the story isn't done yet. My story isn't done. And the same is true for you. The story of God's work in this church, in fact, is still unfolding. He asks us to wait in all circumstances. I've also learned through my ministry training and leadership in general that you gain folks' respect and gratitude when you you stand in front of them and face the facts, even if they are awful. Even if the circumstances are heartbreaking, even if none of us has the answers, not one clue, all we have is the terrible realization as we stand there. Yes, I have my full theological repertoire at my disposal and my book of Psalms to quote, but often that's just not enough. It's not enough of a counter-argument. When people say to me that God hasn't shown up, they feel abandoned by him, and somehow they expect me to believe that our God is vindictive. I don't believe that at all. The Bible confirms And from experience, we know our God offers love, peace, joy, freedom, forgiveness, life, rest, and heaven. How do we know for sure? Because he came among us to show us, to show us his unconditional love. And through the blood of Christ, we may have eternal life. We are his through Jesus Christ. And here in this passage from John, Jesus saves the day. He was always going to, and he always will. When we wonder why God hasn't shown up, when we despair that God doesn't do something, let's remember that he has already done plenty. God has come among us, and by word and wonder, purpose and parable, is offering us the gift of life through Jesus. That's the message of the New Testament. That's the message of the Gospels that we should hold on to. Jesus died a terrible death, and however low we go, he went that low too. Please don't feel that God has done nothing, because God has done everything. And when you question where is God, maybe it's time you also have to ask, where are you? It's a personal question that we often shy away from. No matter where we are, no matter what is going on, no matter what we've done, Jesus is just one call away. Make that call and wait.